Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the first episode of Scran for 2022. As this time of the year brings to mind new starts and fresh beginnings, we've been having a look back at some of the newer faces on the food and drink scene in Edinburgh. I met up with Louise McLean, Director of Sales and Marketing with Signature Group, and Luke Bryant, a brewer at Coal Town House, to hear more about bringing brewing back to the grass market and what it takes to build an attractive business and make award-winning craft beer in the capital today. I also met with Michael Lynch, manager at Superico, formerly the very popular 99 Hanover Street. Superico is extended over two venues, the bar and lounge serving creative cocktails and tapas, and the restaurant at 83 Hanover Street, serving up a menu of South American influenced dishes. But first, on a cold December day, I went along to Cold Town House in the grass market. After a little tour of the rather spectacular rooftop bar, which lies directly in the shadow of the castle, I sat down with Louise to hear all about this business that opened in an old women's refuge just before the pandemic hit in 2020. I'm sitting up the stairs in Cold Town House with Louise McLean. Hi Louise. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. You are part of Signature Group, which yep. own here and a few other places in Edinburgh. And would it be right to say that you've sort of taken, like this place is quite an old building, established mm-hmm. building, and it's created like new venues with them. Is that kind of what? Yeah, we just look at all opportunities. Nick Wood that owns the company is forever looking and he's got great vision. And uh, we bought this place in 2016. It was called The Mission and it had been back in the days, it was an old mission hall for abused women. And then over the years, it had various different incarnations. And then he saw the building, had the vision, bought lock stock. And then he decided he wanted to put a microbrewery in here. And we're like, what? (laughs) So we travelled around Europe, went to four cities in four days and went to about 80 bars. Exhausting. And then he went off to Australia without me um, and did more research and came up with this concept, ultimately, through taking ideas from Australia and Barcelona and Copenhagen and all the places we went to. And that was how he came up with this this vision of the microbrewery and the whole multifaceted venue. And was it at a time where that would be quite rare like was it the time where craft beer was sort of nick started signature pubs in 2003 and was very involved with the bigger brewers with your heineken your coors your inbev and that's my background so i was with coors and inbev and i joined nick or signature in 2013 and craft beer was when i was with the brewers craft beer was just this nuisance it was just this annoyance that detracted from market share but it wasn't really anything we took seriously because let's be honest you know Back at the time, Foster's was still small. Seven out of ten pints sold in, in the on-trade as Foster's. So we didn't really care about craft beer. And I think it was just, he's a craft beer fan. And so he just wanted to do it. And really, really lucky that he's got the vision and the capital to allow him to go off and create 
crazy places like this. And so we've just been up the stairs and yes. you're saying that was that was a bit of an afterthought, but yeah. what an amazing <laughs> well, <no. laughs> It has. And it's, I mean, what that has done, especially during COVID, when everyone wanted to be outside, it was that really became the USP for the last 18 months. And that's, it's like, right, okay, fine. But there's an awful lot more to Cold Town House than just a roof terrace. It has got that pizza oven was, had to again be craned in and that was actually transported from Naples and lovingly crafted in Naples. And again, it was, we'd close the whole of Grass Market to crane that in. I won't, I would love to show you the pictures of the crane. It was, it was, you'd think they were building the Edinburgh St. James, right? <laughs> we're in the final of the National Pizza Awards. We're the only Scottish pizza restaurant that are in the national awards so there's live music space there's the beer tours there's the tasting there's an element of fun right throughout the venue so it's now about question of going yes we're a roof terrace but we're also in scotland you know there's a lot more to it so yeah it sounds very multifaceted it might be not what people are expecting in the grass market we never forget we're in the grass market you know there's a grass market has an absolute charm and part of why we were granted the licence when we were going for licences over provision in Edinburgh. But the council loved the fact we were bringing brewing back to the grass market because Harriet Gate Brewery had shut in the 1900s. And so they loved the fact that they were actually, the heritage of this area was returning. Um, so, but we still remember, you know, we are stag and hen central, but, you know, I hate the stigma that goes with stag and hens because there's an awful lot of really just people out for a really, really, really good time. And what about the beers? We didn't want to have a hoppy beer. We really wanted a sessionable craft beer. I was with tenants for a long, long, long time. Mainstay of Scottish alcohol consumption. There's a reason for that. You know, not only is it the multi, the red tea, but the Scottish palate is slightly sweeter. We love iron brew. You know, there is, we have a sweetness to our, what we desire from drinks. And so Cold Town Lager is a sessionable craft beer. It's not too challenging, but it's enough to be a craft beer. And it's slightly sweeter. And so how did you get into, you've yeah, talked yeah. different places you've worked there, how did you get into it? I left university. Um, I'm from Dundee. I was very, very, very lucky in the right place at the right time. I joined what was UDV, United Distillers and Vintners, which is now Diageo. And I joined that in 98 as a business development manager and was sent down to Harlow in Essex on this phenomenal three-month training program I mean the investment that Diageo or UDV put into me is uh, I can never repay it and so I was with them for a few years and then I loved the commerciality of brewing you know brewery loans and retros and pricing because I'd learned the brand aspect which is what Diageo is brand support brand initiatives return on investment but I really really wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of commercial sales and so I did that for several years and then worked my way up to where I was actually running the sales team on the east coast for tenants and then I moved into their innovation marketing team so I was really fortunate again there's a degree of luck in career and I seem to have just been phenomenally lucky with the people I've worked for and with and they led me to so much exposure into brewery marketing I phoned Nick Wood one day and said right I've, you know what I can do I'd like to come and work for you and he hired me um, and what about the other venues we've talked a little bit about here but what else what else is there we've got Huxley Kylo and the Rutland and Heads and Tails which is the gin distillery bar just below and then we go along George Street we've got Badger and Co Copper Blossom Queen's Arms Boozy Cow Element the Alt Hundred then we've got the Basement Fountain and Fountainbridge, McLaren's at Holy Corner, Coldtown House, Black Bull, I think that's Edinburgh, 
And then we've got four in Glasgow, we've got the Saint in St Andrews, and one in Bridge of Allen, and two in Aberdeen. What have you got in Glasgow again? We've got Church on the Hill, which is right beside Hamden, a complete Glasgow institution. We've got the Spiritualist, which is in Miller Street, which is a really up and coming culture bar. And then we've also got the Raven, which is a really good, it's like smoked meats and craft beer, which Cold Town works really well in. And it's got the darts, like electronic darts and the hockey's above it, which is brilliant fun. And the smoking fox at Central. The sort of market, you know, it's quite an obviously very old city, got well established. And obviously you guys are quite new. So yeah. how, how do you find that mix? So yeah, in Edinburgh, I think you're up against the chains. I think in the last few years, they've really moved in. And really great chains, like Dishoom, like the Ivy. We've now got the Alchemist. And they're brands that in the last nine years I've been down to London to look at so I find them inspirational and I think it's just making sure we're, I think there's enough room for all of us but we will not scrimp on quality we will not scrimp on who we work with from a partner perspective and it has to be at the right price it's 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 not a question of just filling filling your bars you know, it's not like an EDLP strategy. It has to be the right customer at the right price for the right occasion. And especially now, it's all about experiences. Consumers are, experiences are my currency. And so it's entertain me. And that's what you'll get in the, the spiritualist. You know, you will be wowed. And you almost go in there now with that expectation. I want wowed. And I think we're quite, an, I think as customers we've become quite entitled. And it's like, right, what are you going to do, do, do for me? Why should you get my custom? And I don't, I don't mind that. It keeps us on our toes. Obviously, we've had a really difficult 18 months with COVID. So what are your plans for the future? I think 2022 is going to be tricky in that I think COVID passports are going to be tricky because what it's going to do is make the experience hard. And you know, we're just speaking about the amazing experience that Ospratt can bring. Also in 2022, we have three things happening, which is the VAT going back up in April. We have the national wage going up to £9.50 and we have rates. And what I think is going to happen, and it's going to have to happen, is premiumisation, where visits to hospitality are going to lessen and they're going to become, when they go out, people are going out, out. If you're a young person with £40 to spend midweek, right, that is two £20 nights out. That's your bottle of Prosecco and an Uber home. If that £20 night becomes a £26 night because of price rises, this becomes a £14 night. You're not going out for 14 quid. you're staying in. So... Although this visit rises by six quid, hospitality is the loser by 14 pounds. So what we have to do as an operator is capture every customer and make sure that they don't go anywhere else. I will see us really going down the loyalty route and not buying business because that doesn't work, but wowing people so much that when they're thinking about going out for that hospitality experience, they're thinking about one of our venues. That's a lot of information I didn't realise about tax and rates and all the stuff you don't know as customers, you yeah. kind of just, you'll go, oh, right, well, it's become more expensive. And you did quite well at the Scottish Beer Awards. How was that? How did you find that? And how did the staff feel? I can't tell you, I mean, how much of a spring in our step that put. I couldn't go to the awards, so I was watching it on Twitter. I can't put into words, you know, excellence in branding, best beer bar and gold for Colton Lager Pilsner. I mean, the night couldn't have gone any better for us. We only started canning in February. So the reason, so we've never been able to enter the craft beer awards before because we didn't have a canned product. So for our first year to get that was a huge spring in the step for the team and also a bit of reassurance to know that you are on the right lines, you know, because you, you, you don't really know that, you know. Yeah, that was a that was a really excellent day. And being in Glen Eagles as well, that's interesting because if your target market's young and, you know, people yeah. are Yeah, well, it's quality. 
that was it. They worked with the big beer brands and they worked with small beer brands and they liked what we were about and they liked the taste and their team came down here and they were just really, really keen to work with us and we were delighted to work with them. So at the end of the podcast, there's two parts. The first part is Desert Island drinks. So if you could only take three drinks onto a desert island, what would they be and why? We work with a rosé wine called Chateau Rutas, which is a really, really affordable Provence rosé. And I love it. <laughs> it's up there with your Miravels, it's up there with your Whispering Angel. The minerality is absolutely beautiful. It's refreshing without being cloying. It's the nicest rosy I've ever tasted and we stock it in all of our bars. Long may that continue. I think I would probably also have to say Archer's Peach Snaps because that was the first alcohol I ever had. And I ended up with my first job, was with um, UDV, which was obviously Archer's. And I'd probably also be pretty, pretty dull. And am I allowed to say Highland Springs sparkling mineral water. Maybe it's the miner- minerality, but I absolutely love it. I love the brand Highland Spring. I like the fact I like to go into Scottish bars and I like to see Scottish mineral water. I feel we get rained on all the time and the one thing we can produce should be water. Although at the moment, nobody can get any gas. So sparkling water is a bit of a luxury at the moment. So that might be my desert island luxury item. The last part is uh, five questions about food. So yep. if you tell me the first thing that comes into your head. Whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Kit Kat. Comfort food for me is... Uh, chicken tikka masala. My favourite childhood dessert is... Ooh, rice pudding. My food heaven is... Avocado, prawn marrows. And my food hell is... Anything with mustard, horseradish, wasabi... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Really enjoyed that. Thanks. So look, hello. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Fine, thanks. So we're here, as I've said, in the Cold Town House. We're sitting by the microbrewery and you are the brewer. Yes, one of, one of the brewers here, yeah. How did you get into what it is you do? I'm the only member of the team that doesn't have any formal experience or background education in brewing. I just happen to have a lot of passion and enthusiasm. <laughs> I remember when the brewery first opened, I got talking to the head brewer and some of the people that worked there at the time and they needed someone to do some manual labor and odd jobs. I come from a real big hop growing and beer producing region of the UK in Kent. Uh, and so this was something that I've grown up with, the kind of hours and the brewing process. I asked a lot of questions and I wouldn't shut up. So the head brewer decided just to give me a job and say, hey, I've got time to train someone. Would you like to be trained in this? I just sort of fell into the role. I, I was offered the chance to do something that I felt legitimately passionate about. And that was about three years ago, and here we are. So we're sitting here now and we can see the machines, and I know you guys do tours, although mm-hmm. it is literally like, well, when people think of drinks tours, they think of going to like you know, distilleries or whatever, but this is literally like, we can see everything here. So can you just like talk us through what it all is and sort of explain for audio? Yeah, so um, on the front bar downstairs, we have eight very large uh, serving tanks. They're essentially kegs that we find clean and service ourselves. We fill them up each week, depending on what has run out, which means everything we make and do here is pretty reactive to what gets sold downstairs. The great thing about having those serving tanks in the back bar is that everything is about as fresh as it can possibly be. Because I have all of this kit behind me, um, it's all connected via a matrix plate and all connected via pipes, which means that the first time that the beer touches the air after I've made it is when it hits your glass. And that's about as fresh as it can be. Because of that, it also means that everything's connected in one. Um, the, The kettle is attached to the mash tun. This is all attached to the DPVs, which are the large stainless steel vessels where we keep all of our liquid while it's either maturing or fermenting. And because everything's fitted to each other, I can swap beers around, I can put in ingredients, move the beers as and when I need to, but at the same time, kind of do everything in a small confined space. Our other site is incredibly industrial. It's incredibly professional. It's a much more large scale operation. Here it's very hands-on, but it's really good. 
to have that uh, with this piece of kit, it means that we can get a little bit more experimental. We can do some brews that might not necessarily sell in the wider market, but it gives us scope to kind of just get weird with it. We can make lager all day, every day, and that's great and that sells and that's what we want. But the more important aspect of our job here is to make beer that people enjoy. At the end of the day, the best beer in the world is going to be the one that anyone enjoys drinking the most. And that's kind of what we want to do. Make sure that everyone's got a beer that fits their personality, fits their style. I don't want anyone coming into this venue and not finding something they can at least try and digest, you know? So it's really all about making beer that everyone can, can enjoy. Nothing pretentious. I don't want to make a beer that's super hoppy if only me and my brewery friends enjoy it. I would consider a successful beer something that someone tries and then goes away and then tries more of that style. We're Gateway Craft. I want people to be as enthusiastic about the beers as I am. Um, that's a bit of a big ask, all things considered. But the main thing about our brand is that it's all about accessibility, simple beers, but more, more important than anything, beers that taste good. And when you say get weird with it, so people can come here or try things that they wouldn't normally be able to try, is that a bit of a unique selling point for the bar if you've made something a bit wacky? The great thing about our brewery is that we have a really close relationship with our own estate and all of the, the venues that we service. These are run by cocktail bartenders. Louise was talking about the spiritualists, things like that. Copper Blossom is another bar. I worked as a cocktail bartender there for many years. So I've got a pretty good knowledge of how different flavors and how different flavor profiles work. When we have discussions about different brews that we want to do, we will always consider what is going to be more successful in the venues. For example, one of the beers we did earlier on this year was a Pornstar Martini Pale Ale. And that's a cocktail bar, uh, beer that is a little bit wacky. When I first tried it, I didn't want to even consider putting that into a beer. But I used to make about 100 of Pornstar Martinis every single day at Copper Blossom. So it would be absolutely silly of us not to try and translate those flavor profiles into something like beer as well. So when we talk about beers for everyone, this is a beer that we had made for people that don't even like beer. We like getting weird so long as we can create experiences and flavors for people that might not necessarily be beer drinkers. But if they try more beer afterwards, that's that's great. We, we, we've succeeded. And so part of the tour is, I'm assuming, drinking the beer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't do a tour if it wasn't. And we've got some in front of us. Mm -hmm. So do you want to just talk us through what we have? And we'll talk about, you know, colours and things because people can't see it, mm -hmm. obviously. Yeah. So first up, we've got our lager, which is the one that won an award recently for Scotland's Best Pilsner, which is amazing. I was there on the night. Definitely didn't expect it because there were some really awesome brand names in there. We beat out the likes of Shehalian, which has been an absolute behemoth as far as lagers and pilsners have been concerned. So it's nice to be recognized. That was a real career highlight for me so far. I've got some hops here which represent two different styles across the globe. So I've got one which is a darker green hop, which represents flavors of things like pine, light spice, cloves, things like that. Think of a German forest floor, quite earthy, quite green, quite foresty. And on the other hand, I have a hop which is slightly lighter in color, which represents the Pacific Northwest in America. And they typically have a higher bitterness, but a much higher stone fruit and tropical fruit flavor. And that's really the difference in flavor profiles between something like a lager and an IPA or a New England IPA, which is a really popular and common style at the moment. That's how those flavor profiles are split. And it's important to recognize where those qualities come from, depending on the hops. This is your award-winning pill. Yeah, this, this is the lager. It has a beautiful straw golden color. One of the greatest things about it is that it has a really nice hoppy characteristic to it. It has a nice balanced citrus-based bitterness, but it's not going to be overly bitter. Not only brewers are going to like this, but people who just want their bog standard pub drinking lager. Now that's not to say that this is any of those things. This is definitely a craft lager, but it's going to appeal to a, a base that is after something, maybe at a middle ground price point, something which is a bit more craft, but at the same time is very consistent, simple, clean and accessible. Nice. We now, in front of us, we've got four little glasses and it's a kind of pinky looking one, one which is a stout and two 
I'm going to guess. Is one an IPA? One is an IPA, yes, one is an IPA. <laughs> and one which is a bit lighter, mm -hmm. looks a bit lighter. So what are these beers? Start off with the one that's just labelled number one here. This is going to be our New England IPA. It is very hazy. It's kind of like a tropical hop bomb. It uses a lot of the Pacific Northwest American hops that are very well known for their bitterness and big stone fruit tropical flavour. But in this, we adjust our brewing soap process to make this a little bit different in comparison to a lot of other IPAs. There is not as much bitterness in this beer as other IPAs that you might expect. It's hazy. It's bitter, it's got hot character, but the emphasis is on sweet and tropical flavors. A lot of the time I get things like mango, passion fruit, pineapple, things like that, as well as grapefruit is quite a common flavor that people get. It's got a bit of residual sweetness to it. It's bright, it's orange, it's fruity, it's 5.5%. It's rocket fuel if you allow it to be, um, and it does the absolute job. I think this is a good middle of the road, bit of everything beer. Yes, you're right. It's, it's pretty not too bitter. Mm -hmm. I, obviously, I'm going to agree with you because you make it. <laughs> I'm not be like, oh. Hey, in tasting, there's no such thing as a wrong answer. If you think that tastes like lavender and bubblegum, that's crazy. And I want to know about it because that's fun, you know. Um, if that's what you taste, then, then awesome. As long as it's nice, you know. What would we go for next? We'll move it a little bit further down the line. This is going to be our queen of puddings, pale ale. So uh, I've had people tell me that they think it smells and tastes like jammy dodges. This is going to be a raspberry and custard fruit forward pale ale. It has additions of things like lactose, vanilla pods, and raspberries as well. This is going to be a pale ale that is quite sweet, something which is going to be what we consider a dessert beer, but a bit thicker in your mouth because of the additions of lactose. There should be that residual sweetness from the lactose, as well as that jammy feeling of all the added fruit and things like that. It comes from a story of last year while everyone was sitting at home in their PJs twiddling their thumbs. Our head brewer decided to watch a little known bakery show called Great British Bake Off and then found out that there was one character, Dizzy Rascal, who could not make a queen of puddings. So this was a dessert that I had no familiarities with. One was made for me and then we made the beer and I can totally see how they correlate and cross. It's custard, it's jam, it's cake, it's a pale ale. It's still definitely a beer, but it's a little bit sweeter and something which we think is going to entice people, especially in the modern market when people like things that are quite sweet, into trying more craft beers. Traditionalists will despise this. <laughs> a lot of people will look at this and think, that's not a beer. And this has been really popular, especially for people that we wouldn't have considered beer drinkers before. They now drink a lot of this. And that's a massive success as far as we're concerned. The more people we get drinking beer, the better the industry becomes. And that's a women's situation for everyone. Yeah, I suppose the more people end up drinking it, end up liking it, might end up working on it, and you create yeah, your exactly. pool of yeah. different people. Yeah. yeah, Variety is the spice of life. So there's no point making the same beer over and over again. You have to try things. So we've got your Pilsner, which is... is Cold Town Lager. Clue's in the name. That's <laughs> a, it's, it's, it's a classic one. Then your IPA, which yeah, is called... Yeah, it's New England IPA. It's a style that's been popularised over the last year just because it uses a lot of hops from New England in America. So that's the kind of flavour that comes with that beer. And then your jammy one is called... The Queen of Puddings Ale. So we move on to... Yeah, the next one is a little bit of a brainchild of myself. I quite like sour beers and sour beers are like the Marmite beer of the brewing industry. We want to create something that a lot of people are going to enjoy. At the moment in the industry, sour beers are kind of hit or miss. You can either go extremely, extremely sour and it sounds like you're or it feels like you're sniffing the inside of a spade, like flying saucer and it's a little bit difficult. And then sometimes they can just be a bit underwhelming. So what we've decided to do was create a sour beer that also had elements of sweetness. It's got lactose and vanilla thrown in as well. But we've also thrown in a lot of lemons to create a lemon meringue sour beer. Something which is going to be accessible for people who don't like sour beers and want something a little bit sweet, but also for those people who are really, really loyal to that kind of style. Nice, it's like, it's like a lemon sherbet. Exactly, yeah. Something that's refreshing and easy to drink, but we would be idiots if we didn't put an, a sour beer on our back bar. Well, I don't think we could claim to be a craft brewery without also recognising a sour. And what's this one called? This is the Lemon Meringue Sour. Very nice. Again, another one I would drink, but I really like sour beer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I wish more people enjoyed them too. And so now we're on to the stout. Yes, the stout, our winter warmer. This is the chocolate cake stout. 
something which typically isn't really drunk in large volumes. This is going to be a stout that is made with uh, chocolate, tastes like chocolate cake, feels like chocolate cake icing in your mouth. There's not really much else to say about it. It's dark, it has those beautiful chocolate flavors. It has a rich vanilla-like creaminess because of the additions of lactose, raw cacao nibs, and vanilla pods at the same time. But it's still a stout. We have all those great qualities that everyone's come to recognize in a stout. We've got tobacco, coffee, things like roasted on the nose, qualities that are really, really common across all stouts. But at the same time, there's a residual sweetness, something which is going to draw in drinkers that don't necessarily like those kind of flavor profiles. Once again, uh, it's accessible beer. If someone comes in and they've never tried a stout before, tries this, thinks it's sweet and tries another stout, we've, we've done it, we've, we've succeeded. This is a stout that's meant to convince other people to try other stouts. It's really good, it is very chocolatey. Yeah, I, I love it, it's really, really, really nice. Yeah, so people who enjoy the beer or want to know more can come on a tour, is that right? Yeah, so just get in touch with Cold Town House, the venue here on the grass market, and you'll be able to book me for a whole two hours. It's essentially us sitting down much like we're doing now, talking about the beers, explaining the ingredients, how beer is made, our brand process, and also a little bit of history about brewing in general. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that brewing industry is essentially synonymous with the creation of human civilization. You can create bread on the go, you can harvest some wheat and you can mill that into cakes on the go. You cannot ferment beer on the go. And that is the only reason why people decided to stop and sit down and think, hey, maybe we should build a town around this brewery. That's pretty crazy. So when people really start to learn about the history of the ingredients, the effect of beer, how it's grown up alongside us as, as a civilization, it's, it's a whole story. It's a whole spiel. I'm not going to tell you right now. You're just going to have to come to the tour and find out yourself. And how does it feel to have brought brewing back to the grass market? Sensational, to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't think that I would be part of an industry. I didn't think I would be part of a career that I was so proud of this early in my life. To get to know all of the other brewers that are across Edinburgh, they make some phenomenal things. I now get to talk about beer for a living. Like I, That's not a career, that's a, that's a hobby I get paid for. Like it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I talk about it, they seem to enjoy me doing it. So I'm here, that's what I'm doing. Nice. Well Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I feel like we should go. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>99 Hanover Street was an established bar, very well known for music um, for like 12, 13 years. It changed hands over a few years ago and the owner, after running for a, a couple of years, just wanted to evolve it, make it a bit more mature and then came up with the design up here. One of the original managing directors that was involved was South American, so hence why our influence in a restaurant is South American or Latin American and the decor in here now as well you've got a lot of influence from like sort of Latin America as well. Yeah, no, so it's really cool. So we'll just, we'll just describe it for people, obviously, because no one can see we're in a podcast. It's kind of sort of like mustardy, yellow, like what's this, scalloped bar chairs. It's a bit like Art Deco, but like sort of modern. Yes, right? yeah, 100%. Designed by a local 
interior designer called Jacko who has a studio called Jacoco. And then you have like features like we have the art installation you can see behind you. We have our, our moon as well. Uh, and then you can see how we we textured the walls and brought them out. So if you look at that one behind there, if you look if you were to be looking from the DJ booth to there, that's kind of the shape of a sun. And then you've got the moon there. So just nice little intricate details. Tiles on the floor as well, all hand pressed, handmade. We went full out. I don't think there's anywhere else in Edinburgh like this, essentially. Recently just won a design award as well in New York, which was good to see. It was really good to represent the UK in that as well, actually. And you were the only UK? Yeah, only people outside of America to be nominated for that. So, yeah, it was quite a shock to win it as well, but it was really good to do it. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we're sat here at the bar and we're going to talk cocktails, but before we do, we've got a couple of small plates. So can you tell us what we have here in front of us? Yeah, so... As I was saying, for the restaurant a few doors up, we take inspiration from Latin America. Essentially, it runs like a tapas service, so the food comes out as it's ready. It's all designed there for, it's like great for sharing. So it's really good sociable. We keep it really upbeat in there as well. So it's got a really lively atmosphere, a lot of fun in there. Nice small wine list and drinks offering. So what we've got here is a couple of our small plates. Because we take inspiration from all of South America and Latin America, I want you guys to taste this. So this is like a, a ceviche, which is called a terradito. So Terradito originate that is the Peruvian style of ceviche, but it has the Japanese influence from it. So you would have had years and years and years ago, you would have had a lot of Chinese and Japanese immigrants move over to South America to like build railroads and stuff. And also they bring their culture. And what you have here, instead of a traditional uh, ceviche where the fish is cut up quite finely and then dressed through a acidic dress in which gently cooks it, here you have sea bream which is being cut like sashimi. We don't dress it like a ceviche, the, what they call is the dressings a tiger's milk. We have a blood orange one there, we layer it across so it'll gently just soften from the fish up. So you still got that nice delicate sashimi cut fish and then you garnish through with like mango, pomegranate, black sesame, some radish as well and then some coriander and parsley oils, so some pickled shallots. So really fresh, really clean. And then the other small wee dish is just an, our wee take on a classic that I think if you've been on holiday to Spain and stuff, everyone's had it, <laughs> is our potato bravas. But again, a dish like this, nowhere to hide potatoes in a tomato sauce, but we put a lot of work into that sauce. And then you've got your aioli, and then we use a really good manchego. Nice, thank you very much. No worries. Yeah. dig in and avoid the coriander. Really good. Mm, that is a really good tomato sauce. Yeah, like I say, like no overtakes, so just using really good ingredients. Is there any part of the food that's designed to go with drinks or is it all very separate? Well, with the drinks there in a restaurant, I've designed a small cocktail menu, kind of like aperitivo and digestive style. So we do like nice little spritzes. We have a freezer section for our martinis and negronis. So all those drinks, we try, I try and look at the guest journey as a whole. So when we sit them down, really friendly, welcoming. If they like cocktails and stuff and that's the kind of thing, we can point them towards a little spritz section or the little freezer section as well. They're just perfect to start. Those style of drinks, they've got bitterness in them or wine-based sort of um, products in them. They'll just get your appetite going. It's a nice wee start to it as well. And then we have a small wine list of six white, six red, a rosé and an orange wine. And we do it all by the glass. A bit unusual with the wines, but again, they've been chosen to complement dishes as well. After tasting some of Perico's tapas, I asked Michael how he had come to work in the industry and develop such a creative eye for the food and drink they serve. I've been in the industry all my life really. After I finished university, it's what I wanted to do though. I didn't follow what I, was, what I studied. And then I was lucky enough 
Just from hard work and applying myself, really. When I went full time, I was lucky enough to be promoted to a management position, which was good for me. Learned from really good bartenders there. And then from there, just moved on to other places. Lucky enough to open multiple venues in Edinburgh, which gave me a great learning experience. Before this job here, I managed Bramble Bar around the corner, which is probably one of the best moves I've ever done. All those guys quite a lot, they supported me loads, taught me so much. Sometimes when you're bartending, you can be a wee bit overcomplicated and stuff. They stripped that right back down to me. Just taught me to stick to good flavor, executing drinks perfect, not taking your, like, sometimes you would, I would make a drink and I'd be like, this is great, that's it done. They would taste it and be like, have you thought of this, have you thought of that? So they would push me to keep developing. And now I, now I carry that across with all my, like the teams that I run now. And Edinburgh's interesting, isn't it? I mean, obviously it's the capital, so you've got to expect that, but the whole, the fact that it's quite old, but it's still quite innovative, you know, it's quite uh, exciting, you know, there's like- Yeah, it's such a multicultural city as well. Um, obviously, pre-COVID, you'd have tourists all year round and that's kind of like what our industry survived on and it, so it's so much fun working in a bar or a restaurant because you meet new people all the time and it's great to show people like good hospitality in your city you take I take a lot of pride in that so because when they go home and they talk about Edinburgh a lot of the time they might talk about how, how well they got looked after or how welcoming people were and that experience is usually set in bars and restaurants so I've been lucky enough to work with people from all over the world as well that bring new ideas or so you look at maybe like Australia and Melbourne, they were always kind of like that little bit ahead of us in terms of food and drink. So some of those guys would come over here and bring that to us and teach us and then vice versa, you would have staff moving back and forth everywhere. So yeah, it's a, a really fun job. So will we have a look at some drinks? Yes. We're going to look first at a vodka based cocktail, so mm -hmm. just going to kind of talk us through that one. Yeah, so this has taken some inspiration from like a South American ingredient being guava. So we make a guava syrup. We use Haku vodka, which is Japanese. We use that vodka because it's got a really nice texture. Keeps gives a nice body to the drink. But essentially, it's just a really nice, refreshing, elegant highball. Uh, quite a crowd pleaser, actually. So yeah, it's delicious. But I'll make that for you guys. So we have a highball glass, a nice, thin, elegant glass. In the bottom of the glass, we'll just spray two sprays of absinthe. We use that as like that's not going to be a predominant flavour. That's just almost like in cocktails you use bitters, like you've all heard of Angostura bitters and stuff. You only ever use that in small quantities, and it's essentially like seasoning. It helps like lengthen drinks and give backbone. And absinthe does that as well in small quantities. I know it's not like a lot of people hear horror stories about absinthe, but we're not putting bucket loads in. You're not going to taste that. That's going to help. We have in this drink with the guava and vanilla. It'll help that vanilla come out a little bit more as well. We have guava syrup. Another homemade ingredient we call a grapefruit sherbet. So to make this, we peel the skin of a grapefruit, cover it with sugar and backpack it. All the oils will come out of the skin. So you've got like this sugar made out of um, grapefruit oils. But then from there, we juice the grapefruits, add it back in. So you have like a really um, aromatic style of syrup, essentially. So we use that. So here you, we've used a syrup, which is sweet. We've used the grapefruit sherbet, which is like aromatic and also gives it a nice texture. So we need to balance that out with um, acidity, which is lime juice. And then we're going to use a fortified wine, like a rosy fortified wine. Again, this is just to give the drink a bit more backbone and structure. And then the main spirit in the drink is vodka. Everything built in the glass. Ice the glass up, um, give it a wee stir just, just to bring the temperature down and then we're just topping up with soda. So just like um, a really simple highball, nice, clean, refreshing. One thing that's just like really important that we do here 
and we teach the bar team is, is attention to detail and a lot of stuff. I think that's what makes a difference as well, especially if you if you ever try and make cocktails at home, never taste the same because it's just like attention to detail. So with here, um, taking your time to stir it to bring the drink down to temperature before you serve it to the guest. The ice that we use is great, solid big blocks of ice. I give it a little stir and you can see that the drink falls down a little bit. Stirring it is bring it down to temperature but also mixing the ingredients. But we always want to make sure we're getting as much ice in the glass as possible because that's going to keep your drink colder for longer but without over diluting it so you shouldn't get like a watery drink. You can sit there for longer with it without compromising the flavour or the structure of the drink. The garnish, again, nice and simple. Just for the nose of the drink, so when the guest goes down to reach for the drink, it's just a little bit sage. Looks very good. It's interesting what you say about ice, because there was a period of time where people were funny about ice, weren't they? Like if you had a lot of ice, people think yeah, that you'd just... they were not getting as much of a drink or something. I think it's just preference as well. We always serve our drinks with as much ice as possible for the reasons that I just said. But if a guest wanting two cubes of ice, it's their drink at the end of the day. If that's how they enjoy it, we're here to make sure people are having a good time and enjoying themselves. Is it Japanese vodka? Yeah, we used haku. What do you think about? the sort of resurgence of Scottish spirits and the way things are going with gin and vodka and I mean obviously I'm not saying that because you've used Japanese vodka I'm just wondering I can see behind the bar I can see your whiskey selection good whiskey selection but there's also spirits from other places so I know you're not going to go just Scottish spirits but what are your thoughts on like how it's kind of gone over the last few years? It's good yeah I think a lot of You've seen a lot of Scottish gin and vodka coming out now is because there's a lot of new whiskey distilleries, but you have to wait a minimum of three years before you can even bring out whiskey. So a lot of them are being innovative and making really good vodkas and, and gins, which is good for the market. But for me here, it's all about, everything that we do here is always flavour, always flavour first. If your product tastes good, it's, it's going to get on the bar essentially. We try and have like a good enough selection that people are familiar with, but maybe something that they, something different that they can try as well. So there'll be brands on the bar that you would have seen before and there'll be stuff that you've not. Um, so it's just more of that time if you feel a bit adventurous or you want to do something different. We make sure make sure the staff are educated all the time so that we can give that good service and be able to tell you about something you've maybe not seen. So you're confident on tasting stuff here as well. Thanks. Well, we'll try that. Oh, really oh, the grapefruit is really like lovely like yeah, it's really refreshing but you can really taste that mm. all there just to kind of like back up that guava flavour and really make that a bit more yeah fancy. did you sell something a bit of vanilla as well yeah, yeah a little bit of vanilla when we make a guava syrup as well it's very nice very refreshing yeah you could have that on like a really warm day <laughs> which unfortunately we don't <laughs> no, have no, just now. It's not happening right now. <laughs> but actually this is funny yeah lovely that's from your classic normal? Yeah, from our, like, we split that menu up. You have your main sort of cocktail menu, and then we have a little spritz section and our freezer section as well. And how often do you change up the menu? We're looking to do it like every three months, essentially, here. I'll do that. And what I'll do from, so this menu here is all of mine's at the moment, because we designed the menu before we hired a bar team. But as we go on to change drinks, we'll never do like a full menu change. It'll maybe like we'll swap out like six drinks. Try and be a little bit seasonality, but again, because we're inspired by South America, we also use cold tropical flavors as well. Um, I'll just give the guys and the team a brief on, it will essentially be like what style of drink, if it's a sour, a highball, a spritz, uh, and what spirit they need to use, and then they can just go off, be creative as they can, and then we'll, we'll do tasting, 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 and once we've got it right, we get on the menu. Half the time the hardest thing is coming up with a name for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> there was the final one we were going to talk through because it's got a really interesting story. So, Millionaire Milk Punch on the menu, which, when I first looked at it, mistakenly thought Panther Milk, which is an entirely different thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> Milk punching is a really old technique that I believe originated hundreds of years ago in Scotland. And it's essentially, it's adding milk to a, a, a harsh spirit and then splitting it. So you, you split the curds from the weight and you leave the weight in the spirit. And that, what that does is gives it like a nice texture that you, you associate with dairy, um, but also just softens off any of the harsh flavor profiles of it. So a millionaire cocktail is a classic cocktail. Traditionally it is rum, slow gin, apricot and lime shaken so they're quite a fruity easy going bit on the sweet side cocktail and all I've done there is just tweak it slightly and use the old technique. I used milk punching because we were using two different types of rum which are pretty strong flavour profiles and kind of, like you've got Ray and Nephew which is a white Jamaican rum can you blow your head off a little bit as well it's got amazing fruitiness to it but sometimes when you taste it for the first time you can't get over that harshness of the, the alcohol burn and then you have Appleton 8 which again is a Jamaican pot still rum which is really fruity but it's got a lot of estuary notes to it and again it can be quite full on for people. I like those flavour profiles but again I know I wanted to make it more accessible so I used the technique of milk punching to round off those sort of harsh flavours give the drink a nice texture and then when we serve it it's got a nice look of sophistication. People get a bit confused by it essentially when you put it down because they expect to see a milky drink and then you have to and then you have to kind of explain it to them and they get it's a drink that takes a wee bit of time to work so we make that it takes like three days for us to make so we'll make five liters at a time it takes about three days to strain because you're passing it first time it'll come a little bit cloudy and then we'll pass it through the curds again but i mean clear you'll just be transparent you can see through the bottle and that is it so for again for that service really quick as well we're just pulling straight onto ice and serving it and it's basically bad. It looks like a bottle of Campari. With the traditional, you would have had slogan. I substituted slogan for a local product made by my old employers again as well, Bramble, called Bramble Gin Liqueur. They developed that product for the classic Bramble cocktail. So in the classic cocktail, sorry, you would, in the Bramble, you'd have a creme de mure, high sugar content, lower ABV, so like a French liqueur. With this one, you, it's a gin-based liqueur, so loads more flavour. They add black currant into it as well, which enhances that blackberry flavour. Yeah, it's just a higher ABV as well, so it's like 22. It makes an amazing bramble cocktail. So this is a small glass with a big ice cube, so a bit like a um, Negroni or an old-fashioned kind of serve. Yeah, exactly. Just like I was, what I was saying previously before about ice and getting as, like, as much as you can to keep your drinks colder for longer without over diluting. So when we use make drinks like Old Fashions and Negroni, it's the exact same concept. We use a big block of ice, um, which we buy in from the guys at Summer Hall at Edinburgh Ice Co. Um, so we've got a nice, like a nice beautiful clear block of ice. So aesthetically it looks great, but it's functional as well. So you can sit here with your drink for longer without it deteriorating essentially. So it stays. And it's really important for me for drinks like Old Fashions and Negronis, because they're quite boozy. So not drinks that you're just going to you're going to put away in like two minutes. Sometimes you want to just sit there and have it there, but you don't want to be sitting there and after five minutes it's getting watery, it's over diluted and you're not enjoying it as much. And we'll just give it a quick stir to bring it down to temperature before serving it. Because I talked about the the rums that we use and you've got a lot of tropical flavours, we just garnish it with a bit of dried pineapple and dried papaya on a stick. So again, like every drink you've seen, keep it quite elegant, classic looking in our presentation. Much looks lovely. So yeah, very much, like if you didn't know, you'd think this was probably a Negroni. It's really good. Yeah, see what you mean about the, the smoothness. Yeah, that texture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can smell the tropical, the rum, and mmm, it's lovely. 
Nice. I've never heard of that before. It's a really interesting story. Yeah, because it's a quite a long process. I think you'll not see a lot of bars do that. Yeah, because it can be quite difficult to get that balance right as well. So it took, took me a little while playing around with it. I remember when I was doing it, I'd keep getting it wrong for ages. Like it wouldn't go clear, it was too cloudy, all stuff like that. But it's just, yeah, I managed to get it right and I've got the execution right and I'm really happy with it. So it went on the menu. So we're obviously had a really weird 18 months of COVID and we're not out of the woods yet. So how, what are your sort of plans for the future and how are things going? Like what do you see 2022 being like? It's strange here because we've, I need to keep reminding myself that this is a brand new business. Just because we took over 99 and it was such a long established business. At the start, I was always putting pressure on myself to achieve kind of like what they were doing, but they had a regular clientele base, they were very well known, but because it was such a big change, it didn't mean we were going to retain that same crowd. And, and it is such a massive change, and now we're a cocktail bar, I would say our offering from previously is a lot more mature, so it is a different clientele. So some people who will pop in that used to be 99 regulars will enjoy what we're doing, some have not, so it's kind of, yeah, like I say, it's, I, I need to remind myself it's, it's a brand new business all the time. And it's a very hard time to open a new business as well after the crazy 18 months we've had. Again, we've not overcomplicated it. I'm lucky enough to be in here and have this beautiful venue, bring in staff who are like myself. They're really passionate and they love the job. We're very structured and we're trying to do good hospitality, good food, good drinks great service. We've also got a great music system as well. So on the weekends, we've got an amazing DJ rotation as well. So with that, I think for me, as being a new business, it's just been patient now. It's been really patient. We've opened at such a hard time. Business levels have been great on the weekends and they're just inconsistent midweek. But again, the, the environment's really different as well. It's not the same bar culture of people just bar hopping, coming into bars in and out. Everyone still wants to reserve. So we still run, most bars now are still running like a restaurant service essentially where people are booking, having two hours on a table and leaving, going to other places. Like there's not much walk and trade. And if there is, people are wanting tables and table service. So I think that will change soon. I think well, it'll just take a little bit of time because people are still being cautious, but rightly so. I'm hoping next spring we'll see a little change in mentality and people will maybe want to book less and they'll be a bit more free and you'll see more bigger groups come out again and stuff like that. And then hopefully, by then, we'll see a lot more tourism come back to Edinburgh as well. But I know I firmly believe that there's a bit more, people understand a bit more about the hospitality and what, what we go through, and a bit more appreciative of the places that they have at their doorstep as well. So I think, yeah, I think we'll come back really strong. I think all the hospitality will come back really strong next year. Thanks very much, and thank you for the drinks. No worries. I'm going to go and drink this CBV one now, not for nice. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Thank you. Cheers. We'll be back again soon when we'll be talking to more new businesses about the challenges and opportunities they face in today's economic and cultural climate. Scran is a Laudable podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton. Mm-hmm.